Greetings and welcome to Best Cultural Destinations podcast, People Are Culture. I'm Meg Pierre, host of this interview series, which presents stories of how culture is created, preserved, and shared one person at a time. People Are Culture podcast celebrates our unique differences and shared human condition and reveals that while the phenomenon of culture is universal, its meaning is personal. Phoebe Lasoy is a Maasai artisan and member of the Omakau Women's Beading Cooperative in Kitangela, Kenya, which specializes in fine beadwork. The Maasai are an ethnic group of northern, central, and southern Kenya and northern Tanzania. Maasai men and women have worn beaded jewelry, both for special occasions and for everyday use, since the mass importation of beads from Europe as trade items in the late 19th century. Phoebe lives and works in Nairobi. Her shop, Lasoy Maasai Sandals, is located at the city market. She also remains an active member of the Kittengala community just south of the Nairobi National Game Park, where her parents live. Phoebe was invited to participate in the highly competitive and prestigious 2019 International Folk Art Market in Santa Fe that features master artisans from some 150 countries. Since its launch in 2003, participating artists' earnings have exceeded $31 million and impacted more than 1 million lives in the communities they represent. Earnings from the sale of Phoebe's items will be distributed within the community. Approximately 7,000 Maasai live on the Kitangela Plains. Many of them still live in very traditional ways, while others combine modern living standards with community traditions and rituals. It is a pleasure to welcome Phoebe to the People Are Culture podcast. Phoebe, welcome to Best Cultural Destinations, People Are Culture podcast. It's a pleasure to be connected with you all the way in Kenya. Thank you so much, Meg. You are welcome. I'm delighted to talk with you, and I'm going to begin by asking you a question that I start each interview with, which is, what is culture? How do you define it? To me, a culture is a social behavior or a norm of a specific people or a certain people of a certain community. Explain how you see that. Yeah, they're different. My culture definitely will be different from any other person's culture. We've got things that define our cultures, which are simple or can be basic and very important. Do you have an example of, of something that might be might fall under that category? Yes. For an example, Maasai, if you just mention a Maasai, the first thing that comes in someone's mind is cattle. So, and, and Maasai feel like they're the only one who have got the right to own cattle in the whole world. <laughs> so it's a huge it's a huge value for the Maasai culture, cattle. Yeah, cattle. And everything we do it's around the cattle. Everything, if it is beading, you 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 have to think in terms of your cattle. I suppose it may just be obvious why that is. I mean it's it's certainly a livelihood, but are there other dimensions to the relationship with cattle? Is there any kind of spiritual relationship involved? 
Yeah, okay, Marse believe it's a kind of a belief that they come from heaven with their cattle. So it's kind of a spiritual thing. It's not like and uh, when uh, that even happens when a woman is getting married. That is why it's an exchange between cattle and a woman. When a lady is getting married, you you give cattle to the families, to the girl side, to the girl's family. And um, in exchange, you're giving a lady. <laughs> ah, okay. That's cool. Yeah, that is our buying price. And so it's both spiritual and economic. True. Yeah. Well, I think you're raising a really good point that most cultures really do have, you know, one um, dimension of what they value that, that really symbolizes the ethics of the whole community. If uh, cattle are such a predominant feature of the Maasai culture, um, what do you think it says about your culture? A Maasai without, a, without cattle is a poor Maasai because we do not have banks. Our old parents do not have banks. They, they, invest, they invest in cattle. Like if you have like three hundred dollar, you today you get a three hundred dollar. You can't just end up going to do something or deposit in your account. You just buy cattle, and uh, in that they show it's a way of wealth. I must say, with many cattle, show how rich it is. Whatever someone's culture may be, why does it matter today? If a lady give birth, it's it's a cultural activity for another lady to come and help her. We don't have nannies, so you, it's it's for me. I believe it's a way to affect and help one another. So that is why it is so important, and why does it matter? That's a great definition. That's that's very true. The Kitengela community is just south of Nairobi National Park. Um, can you describe for potential visitors what the landscape is like? and what its meaning is for you and your community? The word Kitengela was thrive during the colonial era whereby there were young ladies who must I saw them with very short dresses and they called them Kiti Enkila, meaning a short dress. So that is why it's called Kitengela. So people who are seen, ah. <laughs> yeah, young ladies are seen with short dresses. So people will refer, I'm going to, a place called Giti Enkila, where those ladies dress and put on short clothes. They were not Maasai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Maasai are known to be putting on different things. So that is how Kitengela came up. The word, the name Kitengela. So basically, Kitengela is a, it's kind of semi-arid, not very arid. It's not very, but kind of semi-arid, full of acacia trees. It's in grassland. It's, there are some parts which are hilly, some are flat, lowlands, and uh, it's a good place, very, it's not tarmac, it's a rough road, the people are welcoming, they are, definitely will meet a lot of wild animals, wild animals, because on the other side, Nairobi National Park is not, it's not a fence, so there's no electric wire, and wild animals just get out of the National Park and mingle around with the domestic animals and yeah sometimes you don't have to go to the national park you just have to visit the community and you'll be able to see most of the wild animals yes well i aspire to do that i will do that someday and i look forward to it but what kind of wild animals zebra 
giraffe, sometimes lions, basically during dry season, whereby uh, they'll try to get out of the national park to go and look for now their food, the uh, food, and most basically their food are domestic animals like sheep and goats and, uh, and, 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 and cows. So there are also zebras, I mean, sorry, there are also um, hyenas. You mm. also get to see hippos. There's a place, you, that is why the name Olmacao come from, because there's a small river just next to the national park, which has hippopotamus. So you can be able to see there are crocodiles as well on the small, small streams. So pretty you'll be able to see like 90% of the animals, wild animals. For us, <clears throat> it's not a big deal to see wild animals. Actually, when we, we used to see visitors, white people from different dif different part of the world coming, and uh, they become our tourist attraction, not animals, because you've grown, <laughs> seen, <laughs> seen the zebras, seen the, what is it called? The, the every type of giraffe, which ostrich, you know, so to us it's not a big deal. So at least if we see foreigners walking around, touring the the the, 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 the national park, the community, they tend to be our tourist attraction. Right. But you know, during dry season, that is the time that we really face a lot of challenges because we tend to fight. Masai will want to enter into the national park because this is a safe place, it is a guarded place and there is grass. So Masai will want to enter and use and, and graze their cattle there. In Kenya we use man. So basically, like at least from April this year to date, it has been raining. But from August to around let's say from July, from July to around December, it will be a dry season, totally dry season. And we feed, we depend on our cattle. So when there's no grass, you find we'll be moving actually not from Kitengela to Sultan Amu to other places to Tanzania just to look for pasture. Or we'll end into National Park and we'll be having a lot of challenges. We have to fight between the ranges and the wild animals because um, at the end of the day, most of our cattle end up being eaten by the lions. And the, yeah, and the hyenas. So dry season are mostly season whereby there are no rains at all. And, uh, you know, as I said, Kitengela, it's kind of semi-arid. And even if it rains, it tends to dry very fast. Life is becoming very challenging because uh, you find, uh, you know, we used to be only nomadic people whereby our kids used not to go to school. But now we have kids who go to school. We are educating our children. And as a result, we use this cattle to, 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 we sell the cattle to pay for these kids' school fees. So during dry season, it, we are forced as Maasai to sell a piece of land to pay school fees for our children. So yes, we are resilient, but again, there are circumstances which are forcing us not to be very much resilient. There's things that we can't, we don't have other choice other than to, to do an extra thing, which is selling our land, but which we wish not to do. You kind of touched on what I was going to ask next, which is how um, the landscape and the community has changed over time or changed during your lifetime. Oh, <clears throat> Yeah, so much has changed for sure <laughs> in my community. Other than um, 
other than the kind, you know, basically before a woman will just give birth, if it is a boy, you brought up as a young boy or a young girl, and it's up to the mother to take care of the girl and teach her the roles of a mother. And, uh, and, and, and the father has, or any father figure has to take care of the boy and, and train them how to be warriors, how to be security security people for their community and girls we just brought up and we are taught bidding because bidding is part of our of our life it's a skill and uh, it's up to the mother to teach you and uh, go fetch firewood water so basically life was very hard and and unfortunately uh, different from now because for now things have really changed we have a main call we've gone to school at least we are able to get jobs. We are able to take care of our kids and um, help our community, help our elderly, our parents. And uh, so for now, I think we have really changed. A lot has changed for now. We've stopped very bad cultures like FGM, which was a very bad thing, FGM, early forced marriages, whereby you're just forced to marry any person. There was... We didn't have a wife inheritance, but the moment your husband dies, you end up living a very miserable life because maybe you were forced to marry a very old man who already had like three wives. So a lot has changed from then to now. And those are positive changes that are empowering women. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So progress isn't all bad. <laughs> yeah, progress is a good progress. Right. So let's step back and why don't you, um, if you don't mind, just share um, for listeners an overview of what Maasai culture is, is all about. What is the, the history and what have been some important influences can you give us the big picture? <laughs> okay. The nomadic cows is a manyata, and uh, these manyata are made of cow dunk. And uh, we go to the forest, get some piece of, 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 um, of sticks or wood, come and make a house using the stick and cow dunk. And uh, basically our life was to depend on cows. And uh, growing up, a man will be taught how to be a warrior. And uh, you got, you, there was nothing like school, so you just wake up, taught how to be a man, learn how to take care of your cattle and be a superman. You have, before then, you have to be a warrior by killing a, a, a lion. And there was so much initiation we used to go on, uh, growing from, from childhood to, to an adult. And for a lady, you'll be, you'll grow, taught how to fetch firewood, how to take care of kids and uh, going through Maasai culture, walking through the community, it was not hard for you to find a Maasai just carrying a baby, uh, breastfeeding a baby, attending the livestock because women basically were not seen as a valuable human being. They were treated as a secondary object. And as a result, men were just neglecting most of their duties, most of home duties to women and just going to taking care of cattle, which was, that was the main thing for them. But for women, they had a lot of things to do. And um, I'm curious, what was the catalyst for um, the changes in things like FGM and um, forced marriages? Was there any particular catalyst that... Um, 
began changing the role of women in the community? Okay, um, definitely. There were so many, okay, we'll say that there were NGOs, some of the NGOs, community NGOs that are challenged, started bringing um, kind of teaching to the, to the village. And uh, the government as well will try to initiate these activities and they will pass, all these things will pass through leadership. Maybe from the chief, the chief will have some barazas and talk to them, of which it was a very hard, must I have, I think they are kind of very resilient. It's not easy for them to, and sometimes very hard-headed. I'm sorry to use that word. But some, I think for them to stop a culture, it is to take years because up to now, it's something that we're still fighting on. No, some women have to, unless you are taught, and then a good thing that uh, as these NGOs and the barazas came up, kids started going to school, uh, parents knew the advantage of education, and then they started taking their kids to school. As an, and as a result, these kids are told the disadvantage of FGM. But again, we didn't have a say. So unless you have someone who really help you to run away, that is something that will be able to be of good advantage to you. I like just making a decision for yourself, like, oh, I'm not going through this thing. It's very hard unless you have someone to help you. Yes, that's very true. Um, you know, I think it's a fine line between maintaining the integrity of your culture and being being open to having new ideas. And, you know, I think one of the lessons I've learned in life is I tend to think of myself as being very self-sufficient, but there are just some things you can't do without help. True. Now, I think um, many people around the world um, are familiar with the Maasai dress and beadwork, which are such distinctive features of the culture that are so admired. Can you share what some of the meanings and traditions are of the Maasai attire? We've got specific, we've got uh, different items like, Engishili. Engishili is the one you put on your head as a crown. And that one you only put on during special occasion, mostly during weddings. And the only person to put is the bride. Uh. Yeah. We have um, Engoto. Engoto is a choker. And that one can put every lady in the community is supposed to put on that. If at all you're working without someone, will feel like, is there something wrong with you? It's like your daily basis activity. Like the way, I don't know, you today will walk out, <laughs> you'll wake up and walk with your phone, or uh, I don't know what I can uh, say, which is the most necessary object in your life. If it is a biro, that is it. If it is a phone, the same apply to and go to. That is a choker that every woman is supposed to have. We have a moshipi. A moshipi is a belt. We've got different types of a moshipi. When a, when a woman gives birth, there is a type of a, of a belt that she's made that is, she's supposed to tie on a, on a stomach so that the stomach will go back to normal and she will be back to shape. And that one... That one is either your mother, mostly it's your mother who will make for you, or your mother-in-law. And they'll make it using a cow skin. That one is called Engitati. It's kind of white. We also have Imboro. Imboro is a special occasion 
wherever you put on a special, okay, maybe during uh, inaugurations, maybe during someone has won something, a uh, specific occasion and special occasion, not any time. And uh, we have got El Karash for specific days. El Karash, the one that you put on you at home, is not the same that as you put on when you go to an event. And they have to match. What do you mean when they when you say they have to match? Mm-hmm. So there's kind of like a a style that you individually have? Style. Okay, for now there are more many styles. Before it used to be colors. Ah, okay. Yeah. That is it. So most of them we put on. The only important we also have imangek. Imangek are just the wide one you put on your neck. And we have irkarari, which are for the hands. And that is what, if you see most of the women, they have irkarari and the, which is the, the, the bracelets and the choker in Gojo. Yeah. Mm. And when did the tradition of beading begin? How did it start? Oh, my goodness. I think I need now to tell you the story. <laughs> this one started long. I can't, I think it started in 18th century. Because uh, my mom, my grandmother, yeah, my grandfather used to work for a certain British man during the colonial era, and uh, he used to work as a houseboy. And whenever my grandmother, my grandfather will go home for leave, that uh, Muzungu, that white man, sorry for using the, those, but I don't know the name of the man. <laughs> I will abuse, I will abuse the name, and uh, he will give the calf as an ex- as a gift when he goes home. Then as my grandfather goes back to work, my ma- my grandmother will also give um, a gift of beads, either a beaded bankle, a beaded gourd, a bit of just a gift. And the relationship of beading, uh, on the relationship was was building, it was building that time. But the beads, the beading started a long time because master, I think that around 19, 18th, 19th century, they will use, um, bonds they will use plastic uh, items to make beading thing to make anything beautiful and they will put around their ears around their neck and if you see during those times as i think they have been evolving because they were from beads i mean from a plastic to bones from bones and then now they have these glass beads and they used to be big now we've gone to very small fine beads and, and I think um, one of the features that's so distinctive is just the use of color and how vibrant all the um, the jewelry is and the attire. <laughs> Can you share, you know, if there's any particular meaning behind the color or if, you know, the color symbolizes anything in a general way? Like to me, it's just very alive. <laughs> Yeah, definitely colors have got a meaning. For us, we don't just use any colors. There's so many colors, but we must say we've got around seven colors that we we use. And they all, as I told you when we started, they all revolve around the cattle, the cows. Like, for example, <clears throat> red, uh, because that is our main color. And um, it's it's the blood that must say we used to, I mean, we used to eat. This used to be our food. I don't, they will uh, pierce a cow and uh, get the blood and they will cook it and we'll eat. So it's, 
It's it stands for bravery and the blood. It's the color of actually it's the color of cows. Actually, the blood for their cows. Mm. That is how to say it. Yeah, that is the one of the color. We go to white. Now this it's it's associated with um still cows cows milk, and stand for for health because we still drink the same milk. So still the same white is come. I mean still cows come in there. Then we go to orange, which symbolizes hospitality. And uh, masses will, uh, I mean, whenever a masses will visit another masses, they will use the gourd. You know, we used to keep our milk in the gourds, and these gourds, they used to be yellow in color. And um, I mean, orange, sorry, orange in color, and we'll serve our, our guests with the same milk, I mean, with the milk using the gourds. Then we have blue. Ah. <laughs> We've got blue. Which is the skies? I mean, it represents the, the water that rains, and our cattle still drink the same water. We have green, which symbolizes uh, land. I mean, the health and um, the color of the grass for our cattle. And we've got black because Ooh. black we still use it, which represents the color of people. And uh, which other color have I missed? Uh, is it yellow? Yellow still represent. You see, um, it's still hospitality, and um, most of the time the cows hide the cow skin. It's whenever it's. I mean, it's uh, slow. Whenever the cow is slaughtered and then they dry that skin, it turns to be yellow in color. So it's still the masses use this skin to as their beds because they didn't have beds. So. This one basically was the bed, and it still revolved around the cow. So everything was, if it's around beading, beading, and colors that uh, match with the with the cows, whatever their cows benefit from. Yeah, mm. and I'm I'm struck that at least a couple of the seven colors mm. relate to hospitality. Can you speak to um, the importance of hospitality and the Maasai culture? Oh, yeah, like at least we have got three, three colors which speak of hospitality. Maasai are very generous. If today you go to a Maasai, even if I am just a stranger and I happen to be in a Maasai, a Maasai land, and I'm like, I am lost, they will give me for a place. They'll give me a, they'll get a, they'll give me a place to sleep. They will uh, give me food. They will treat me like one of them. And uh, the following day, they will even check me. They'll show me direction to where I was going. Even if today it happened, you're a stranger. I mean, like you come to Kenya and uh, you happen to go to a Masailan. They will receive you like something. They will even slaughter a cow, I mean, a goat for you, just for you to feel that you're part of them. And why do you think that is? I mean, there are some cultures that are much more hospitable than others. Do you do you feel there's anything in the Maasai history that, that has made them so hospitable? Yeah, you see, before we used to live in Manyatas. We used to live in, um, yeah, in Manyatas, whereby we live more than one person. So they believe that you can't live alone and you can, uh, no man is an island. You cannot succeed alone. So I help you and you help me tomorrow. And they say that I do not know where I will find you tomorrow. So they have to be kind of brotherhood. They are like sisters. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter the clan, the whatever you come from. 
But uh, I think because of the kind of life they grew up in, living in Manyatas, that is what make them to be more um, hospitable people. And then the kind of life they used to live, whereby they depend only on cattle. There is nothing else. So today you don't have food. I think they, you get from your neighbor, and then uh, which is just within the same Manyata. You kids go plays in another in another woman's house. They sleep there. So it's all about the togetherness that they grew up in. That's a very nice, um, a nice way of living. And just to be clear, the manyatas are basically like community housing, community living, yeah. and one under one roof. No, a manyata is a, it's a. It's like 10 houses in one, more than 10 houses in the same, uh, in one place. And you find like uh, many people are living in the same livelihood, in the same place. But each and every person has her house, his house, but uh, they live within the same, the same, the same place, which by, whereby their house were built in round, in, in, a, in a buffalo, in a bread-like design. So they will live within the same location. Same, same place. I'm um, curious, you know, having a culture that is so distinctive and admired can actually have a downside, which is that others can seek to appropriate um, that culture for their own purposes. Um, have you ever experienced this? And and if so, what are your thoughts and feelings about it? Yeah, these um, that I think they okay, they, it's good. It's, it has advantage and a, a disadvantage. The disadvantage is um, you'll find someone who is not part of that culture pretending to be part of the culture. I have seen people putting on clothes and they call themselves Maasai. And you ask one word they don't know. You speak to them, they don't know. They'll try to copy, uh, which I think it's good for you to be the way you are. Accept, love your culture because nobody chose to be born in any culture. Nobody chose to be born the kind of a person we are. We it's it's we are all created in a specific way, in a special way, in a unique way. So and you find other people, uh, if it comes to a position, if you hear that Maasai are given, there is an opportunity for Maasai in this place. You I've even seen people forging their IDs, pretending they are Maasai for them to get that, that opportunity, dressing and even trying even if it means they have to remove their lower teeth. To be identified as Maasai, they will do. They go. They'll go to that extent for them just to be seen in that as part of Maasai. I love your point about the fact that we are who we are, and to just accept who you are and not try to pretend to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. And what about? Have you ever encountered? Um, I mean, obviously, the beadwork is. Um, you know, very distinctive, and not only the colors, but the designs, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, have you ever encountered, you know, someone trying to represent uh, beadwork as being Maasai that is not? Oh, I'm telling you, in plenty. Now it's, I, I don't even know how to explain. You know, someone come and they'll ask you, please, can you, I have maybe something that I need to go. I have got an organization that need me to teach them and an something like an art. Can I, or a design? Can I, can you teach me one? And then you'll be like, 
like how much can I charge you? He's like, no, it's just for charity. Then you end up training someone for one, two weeks. The funniest thing, there is no organization that has invited them. It's only for them to know how to do the bid work. And then they go do whatever you've been teaching them. And they try exactly even to copy your ads, your design, and then post it on social media as their work. And uh, they end up getting very good help. You find someone has gone and helped, maybe an organization has allocated, has, has identified her. Maybe they got a, a, a connection in the, in the government, within their local government, and they end up doing something good. Maybe they end up supplying an item that, and you find you the one who trained that person to do. So it's 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 mm. kind. It's now it's it's no longer about Masai only doing bid work, but I think it has gone to a level by whereby we are not longer able to control who is going to do bid work because people have known that bid work bid work has got it's a it has got a great opportunity. You can uh, you can do bidding for your one. You can do bidding and uh, just sell the items locally internationally. And you'll be able to help your kids, help people in your community. So now people have taken as a job, as a job opportunity, as a next thing. Other than just going to school and working, they have got now, they have learned another extra thing to add food on their table. And, and how does that make you feel? Oh, um, sometimes sad. Sometimes you feel, okay, it's because of me that is why you're here, there. <laughs> so it's, sometimes it's good to motivate someone. But again, I think they should be open. We just tell someone, I want to learn for my business. I would like to have a business like yours. So it is a way of competition, which is making comp- to be more competitive. And because the funniest thing you're training someone, the same, same thing that you're doing. So it's kind of challenging. Now, can you tell me about the actual process of how the um, beadwork is designed and and made? I um, would love to hear about, you know, how you produce your work, how you create oh, your designs. You. Beading fast is a skill. It's not a design. It's a skill to start with. On this skill, okay. you're taught by your mother. You, for an example, for me, I was taught by my mom. My mom was taught by her mother. Her mother was taught by, so it's a generic thing. You pass from one from one generation to another generation. So for my case, I was taught by my mom as early as when I was eight years. I started doing little, little bands for my hands and goes to my neck. And uh, yeah, and it to progress with time you learn. And now it has come to a point by you, you can't just continue doing the same things that our parents were doing. For me, I've gone to school. So I'm like, why should I continue doing the same thing that my parents were doing? Where can I come up with my own design? I will draw something. I will draw a rabbit and like, okay, let me try to bid a rabbit on a, on a piece of cloth. How will it look? I will, uh, and then with time goes by, I become uh, good in, in in my bidding. And uh, again, now more challenge coming when now you started uh, posting your things online and someone has to download whatever they download on social media. Someone can download a name and they just want you to, uh, to bid that name. So bidding is a generic thing from one generation to another. Then uh, 
it's 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 a skill that you learn from your parents other than the thing that now we are teaching people how to do beadwork before it was just a skill that you learn from your parents this is interesting i i have my own activities i engage in that i i find i get into a rhythm and it's very peaceful and it's kind of meditative. Yeah. Do you have that experience yes. when you and bead? sometimes when you're just stressed, you're not you're in stress. I mean someone has stress or whatever you have got a challenge in your life. You just sit down, you pick your beads and you come with designs, whatever you are designing, if it is a belt, if it is a neck piece, a bracelet, an earring. By the time you you just check your time, it's evening and it's so peaceful. Nobody disturb you. You forget completely. All your concentration is carried by whatever you're making. I remember I will do bidding up to from morning from eight to around one p.m. I mean one a.m. midnight past midnight another day, and it was mm. so interesting. Well, it kind of frees the mind. Completely. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And um, how fantastic to engage in an activity that is your livelihood, that is actually very soothing and very relaxing. It's so nice. It's very nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, I'd love to go back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, um, which is the idea of... um, the transition and the lifestyle. And um, now I know that the Kitangela community is, is just on the outskirts of Nairobi. And, you know, you kind of have a foot in each world. Um, how do you balance that? Oh, uh, between my job and my community? Well, or between Nairobi life oh, and, okay. um, yeah. Um, we must say first, we are not uh, town-based people. We always believe your community is your community. Where you're born, where you get married to, became become your home. We don't like the city. The city is just for me. Like most of the main thing, the main thing that made me to be in Nairobi, to have a shop in Nairobi, is it was so hard for me to make money in Kitangela. You know, few people. I know it's. All people are Maasai, they are making the same thing, they are selling the same thing. So for me, I had to look for a place that at least it's not very, very competitive. And the main and the best place was Nairobi, because first it's a cosmopolitan place, town, and it has so many tourists, it's just in the city, the main city. So um at the end of the day, whatever the situation is. I will always go home. The only challenging is that sometimes you find it's very hard to start adjusting. You know, in Nairobi, there is electricity, there is running water. So you go home, uh, it's, there is no that electricity, there is no there is no that running water. You have to do that. So for me, it's I have to make my home. Now this gives me another challenge. How can I make my home look like a town? How can I look my parents' place look like a town? How can I look my house look like a town, like a place I'm living in Nairobi? And the thing is, I have to build a house for them. Yes, we do not have electricity, but there's solar. So we have to install solar in our houses. 
we drill home i mean water in, at our home or we buy water because at least we have got some little cash we are getting at least i'm better off i'm head i'm a little bit head than the people who are in kitengel i can't say i'm so much ahead but at least for the people in the community and i i'm a little bit ahead and uh, this one at least helped me get one two three three things at home well i mean having those, those yeah. basic um services you know can make such a huge Completely. difference in life. and uh, this um, thing is it's it's really i'm so happy okay i remember when i was graduating in 2014 i was the only one and i'm like oh in the whole community and i'm like wow this is so interesting and and you'll find so many girls who like to be like me they will uh, imitate or like they'll have to work hard to go to college make sure at least they are living a better life because on a serious note, nobody wants to be in the same position for the rest of their, of their lives. I would not want to be, I was born in Kitengela, raised in Amanyata, be there, go to school, come get married there, live the kind of life my parents are living, my kids, and uh, that one is not good. <laughs> so I have to be a role model to them, and I have to talk to them. That's a, a huge responsibility and privilege. Um, you know, to be someone that um, has succeeded and can encourage others to be successful themselves. And I know that many communities around the world face the challenge of engaging young people so that they continue to stay a part of the community and, you know, um, to take advantage of opportunities, but to remain connected. And I understand that this is an issue facing the Maasai and that you are involved in, in seeking solutions. Can you share how this challenge is manifesting and what you're doing to address it? Okay. Um, for now, uh, we, okay, like now we are in, um, I'm part of the Almakau Women Collective Creativity or collective, and uh, other than that, I am in some other groups in Kitangela, community group, like the youth group, whereby we meet regular, not really regularly because I'm busy, and they're also busy. So uh, basically, maybe during holiday season, like in April and December or August, whereby we'll meet and try and talk and share out our, our problem, our issues. Like I'll be having one this week on Friday, where I'll be talking to girls in Kitengela, basically my community uh, around home, and we're going to talk about the issue of pregnancies and uh, why why is that people are just why is that girls are just after you complete uh, the your O level? Am I your form for? Why do you have to go to? Why do you have to go back to you get you get married to? Someone in the community, you you go live um, the same life that your parents were living, and that is one of the main challenge. You, and one of the main things that we we'll want to speak. But one of the best, one of the advantage that we must say are getting is that now Masai are tired of the old, the old life they used to live. Not everything is um not everything in Maasai culture is good. We are trying to shun away from bad things and now concentrate on the most important thing, which we can, which of which now um education is very important, is key in our lives. Whereby these girls and boys 
they are all equal. You don't see as a boy is more equal than a, a girl. In a message, we say that educate a girl and you have educated the whole community, which is the one that is helping us to get a lot of a, a lot of uh, attention and uh, a lot of things going on in life. You'll end up getting um, socializing with people, getting a job, helping your parents, helping any other person. And as a result, you'll even the kind of dressing is changing. Yes, we're still in the community, but we are trying to, to change the dressing. You Yes, you put on the same shuka, the same ilkarash, but a different touch, a different touch of class is there. At least a little bit of education is seen. You know, and you'll help. You know, like um, there was a time my father was selling a piece of land. And because uh, that is when I was in the university. And because he did not know how to read and he did not know how to write and um, far away, and nobody, this 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 person who was buying, trying to con him of buying extra piece of land. So I uh, thank God we were able to mm. come in and, and 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 help our parents. So that is the kind of life we do not want to live. At least we like if you're signing for an agreement, you signed for a truth agreement, not something that someone has hidden a lot of meaning and a lot of agenda in the same agreement. Well, you know, you you are touching on something that's very important because I think that, as you said, not everything about any culture is is all good. And I think to cling on to practices that are not serving the community and not be open to change is, is something that needs to be um, addressed. But I'm, I'm also, you know, fascinated by the fact that the beadwork, which I, I assume is has traditionally been women's work that that can be a springboard to um to opportunities i mean it's a traditional activity but it's 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 modern at the same time and as we'll talk about in a minute you'll soon be coming to the u.s to participate in the um, international folk art market. And we'll get to that in a second, but you know, it's cool to me that an activity that has been women's work is in fact the springboard to opportunity. True. I don't know. I can't really now be able to explain how, how we're going to contend because uh, it used to be, it used to be a woman work. It used to be basically for Marseille. And now it has been like for everyone. It's no longer for Marseille community. It's going to Kikuyu community. It's going to Kamba community who are doing because it is, they have noticed it is got a, cha- it is got a good opportunity for them. And uh, as a Marseille, what we love try to 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 do is Make sure the thing that we used to do, our tradition, the main thing that we used to do, it still remains. The good, the only good thing about bidding and the the kind of bidding that our parents taught us that we used to use wire and um and 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 and, and uh, poly, not but plastic plastic material, which for them it, they have not yet known. Other communities have not yet known, and uh, it's my plan, it's my prayer that we were not, we will not be able now to expose to other people. We just make it to be a community thing, I'm a side thing, and for women, because the moment that now it goes to other, we will lose value for our bids. 
do you have ideas on how you can try to achieve that dream? Are there are there ways to contain it? One of the main, actually, I do not have the main idea, but now the advantage is that uh, it's it's very hard. It's very hard for other people to learn because it's, it requires a, a lot of effort and a lot of concentration, whereby other communities do not want to do it because they find it's very hard. Sometimes it's also expensive. The, and Maasai beads are expensive. We've got different type of beads. We've got if you want to make original things that you want to send to maybe abroad or to uh, for business purposes, you have to buy very original beads which are very expensive. And so Maasai, we are at least we are still we we are still using the same same beads. And uh, other people are shine, but still they have not yet come and been able to get the world concept. And uh, now we are not willing as Maasai people to to share because I think as far as someone wants to be trained, as, ma as far as I want money and I have to train someone to get an extra coin, I will not be able, I'll not be in a position to train you our authentic items. I will train you the same, the normal, the simple, simple things that you will go and use, you'll go and do it, but not the real Maasai items. Right. Well, I think that, you know, in a way, some things kind of take care of themselves and people can, you know, uh, have a dream of, oh, you know, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And then when it comes to actually learning how to do it and actually dedicating the time, um, you know, to learning, people lose interest. And that's the upside of, you know, it is a part of your culture. It's a part of who you are. So it's not a question of getting bored with it or, you know, getting impatient with coming up the learning curve. Um, so I think sometimes people trying to um, co-opt a tradition uh just don't have the same relationship. Yeah, with and the good thing is that you can't copy the the whole tradition. You just copy the at least what you can be able to get to grasp, and then the rest you just let it go. Your participation in the international folk art market is through the auspices of Acacia Moya, a nonprofit organization that's partnered with the Kitengela Maasai. Can you explain the focus of the collaboration? Shulid, I am. I'm like fast. I think I need to thank the whole Acacia. Because you're more community. <laughs> anyway, this is a great opportunity. I am part of the Old Macau Collective Women, whereby we make our beads work for self, for to help our kids, to help our our life, our life as well. Whereby we buy our food and we buy our activity, our daily things during clothing and the rest. Kishamoyo got a plan whereby they're focusing on working in a close partnership with Kitengela Masai community to identify the needs and develop the economic solution that will prevent the sale of land. That is one of the um, basic things. In Akishaboya, we say, where tradition meets technology. I think that is the world description of my, of my beadwork because there's tradition in it and there's technology in it. So what does Acacia Moya stand for? Acacia, it's, it's, a, it's a tree. That, that, this is a main tree that is mainly in Kitengela 
community. You'll find it all over. And it is uh, thin and it, uh, it, and it grows up. It has a lot of thorns on top. And we must say, women, no, we don't sit in the house because there is no good lighting during the day. So we sit under the tree for our bedding activity. And mainly these are the trees that are found in Kitangela. So, and Moyo mean heart, no? That heart to help. Yeah, so um, that is the main thing. And, and um, I'm so happy because of the of, of Akisha Moyo and the plans they have for women, you know? whereby uh, the, a community, okay, they would like to identify uh, the community needs, mostly their education, whereby they are training. I mean, through their activity, they're educating around six girls and uh, they're helping us get, um, uh, get clients, you know. This is a great opportunity, not only for me, but also for the world community, whether we'll end up getting this money. And I'm very sure most of our kids, there's a certain person that is going to educate some of our children, some of the needy in our community. And uh, you see, they will. one of their solutions is they want to prevent the sale of land among the community, among the Kitengela community, the Maasai community. So as, as as they tend to help, because the main reason why Maasai sell land is not for just leisure, is not for a show off, because but is because they do not have mainly the the main resources to help their kids, to help their families at large. So as they end up helping two people, helping a, an extra two people will tend to reduce to reduce the sale of land. And this one, the main is to reach mainly adults age 16 and 65 to 65 uh, who lack the funds and the opportunity. So and um, so the help in participating in helping, I mean, sorry, they participating in helping um, their kids for higher education. And that one help us not to sell part of our lands. Well, those are two very important yeah. goals. Those are critical. And then as far as your attendance at the International Folk Art Market, what kind of outcome would make you happy? Okay. Hey, for me, uh, five, wherever the money we're going to make, it's going to be of great help, not only for myself, but for our community, as I say, because we are doing this as a community. We are doing this as a Olmakao collective women. So the kind of money we're going to make will still go back to uh, some saving, some uh, will be able to save a certain amount so that we'll be able to be there next year. Yes, this time I'm happy. I am lucky to have got a scholarship. And I'm very sure next year I'll have to be there by myself. And my prayer is um, we'll, I'll not be the only one to come, but we'll come around three ladies. That sounds great. Phoebe, I want to ask you, what aspect of Maasai life would you love to pass on to other, other people? people? One is respect. We must say one of the values is respect. We believe that, like, for me, I can't be seated and my elder is standing. We have that respect. That one, it doesn't matter whoever you are, you have to respect your elder. I have to respect my young ones. So one of it is respect. And um, that is the main value that I like to pass from one generation to another and again another thing i will pass to not all but this one has to go to my young one because now we are in them 
in the era whereby the young one will not want to sit down and do bidding most of them have gone to school they are so much into social activity so they are not into so much the community so one of my crushes thing is i would like to see them coming back to the community being part of the community going back to the roots whereby we used to do bidding i know that bidding is not like just for the elderly i'm for the old people or for the old people but it's for all as far as we are saying that FGM is completely out, it's completely out less in, in Kitangela because Kitangela has got a lot of uh, opportunity. One, it is uh, close to the city. Many people are there. They're uh, in the marriages. There's so much in the marriages. There are many school. But if you go to the interior part of Kajado, there are real challenges. So mine is to see that FGM is completely eradicated in, 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 Kajado, in Kajado and in the wall of Maasai community. It's great to think about your larger community, not just Thank your immediate you. community. Now, um, Best Cultural Destinations tagline is people are culture, connecting is the destination. Do you see your art as a way to Definitely. connect with people? True, true. And I'm so delighted, you know, because um, uh, today, I am in Nairobi. If I want to go to Kitangela, if I want to make any item, we'll go and meet with, uh, connect with elders and young one, sit down, brainstorm, and coming up with a very good design. Sometimes I don't come, uh, I don't, I'm not the one who come up with all the design. Sometimes my, my elders will help me, and I have to go as far as to, village completely to the village and talk and i'm so happy um some of my relatives in the u.s are like i have a cousin in the u.s and she she need my my design and i feel it's part of us yes you're learning you've got an opportunity to be there and working and doing well there but still you want to be part of the community by putting on the maasai attire by putting on the clothes the maasai clothes the the the, the beads and you speak speaking and still speaking the same language not that you're pretending that you've forgotten your language your mother tongue so i feel yes it is part of it that's great. That's really special that, you know, you'll be seeing your cousin and I'm sure it means the world to her to, to, to be able to connect oh, yeah. in person with someone from, from True. home. And she needs a lot of things from home. She needs the, she, she need the, all the beads from home. She needs the, need the, the belt, she needs the, the shuka, the ilkarash. And she just wants to feel that she's at home again. Of course. That's great. Now, my last question for you, Phoebe, is if you could give one piece of advice or a suggestion to people about how to connect, what would it be? My advice would be, one, love yourself, love your community, love your culture. Never trade your community for anything, despite of education, despite of your level of um, the job that you have, your rank, wherever you are, but never trade your community, your culture with anything in life. It doesn't matter where you come from. Even if people think that this is the worst culture in the world, I believe there is something good out of that culture. Don't pretend to be someone that you're not. That's great advice. 
Phoebe, thank you so much. It has been just a pleasure to get to know you and to learn more about Thank you so much, culture. Nick. Uh, hoping to see you soon. Yes, I wish you all the very best at the thank International you, Folk you. Art Market.